0: to your friends, listen as much as you can. Numbers are slightly down, which may affect the future of this podcast. So just leave it playing, even if you're not in the room. Love you. <laughs> now sit back, relax, and enjoy whatever it is you're going to listen to.
1: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Geeky Palmer.
0: You are about to listen to Rich Herring's Letter Square Theatre podcast with my special guest, the curmudgeonly idiot Stuart Lee. Uh, This is the final one in the series. We're hoping to make some more in June and July. You can help us in lots of different ways. Why don't you come and see me on tour? That would be a fantastic help. By the time you listen to this, I should have a young baby. I need to start making some money for myself. Uh, And so that would be a great way to help me. Go to richterring.com slash L-O-T-D-S slash tour, and you can see all of the tour dates, see if I'm coming near to you. I'm going to be uh, in, uh, coming up, Colchester, and uh, Aylesbury, Exeter, Cheddar, Nottingham, Wolverhampton, Salford, Chorley, Brighton, the list goes on. Go and check it out for yourself. Uh, go to gofaststripe.com slash badges, make a one-off or monthly donation, which will help us make more stuff. You can go to eBay, look for me, herring one nine six seven. You can buy stuff there from my past, which will hopefully fund my future and help us to make new stuff. If you don't want to pay for any of this, that is fine. It is free. That's why it's free. Sorry you have to listen to this message at the end. I know it annoys you, and that's the only reason I do it. Why not just tell your friends about this podcast, get them to listen to them all, uh, and hopefully they'll pay a small amount of money in order to help us keep going, because you are too me. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoy this podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Leicester Square Theatre. Well, this is a very, very special podcast
1: because Richard
0: Herring is in it. Please welcome him, Richard Herring. Thank you very much. Love to see you. Thanks for coming out. You're much better than last week's audience. So, uh, it's. Welcome to a very special, uh, it's the final Richard Hanks, Leicester Square Theatre podcast of this series. Or as some of the cool kids have started calling it, up. That's what they're calling it. It's a lot very exciting. Are you excited about uh, Stuart Lee coming on? Is everyone who? you excited? <laughs> who? Did you not realise who was here? Uh, what is your favourite thing that was ever in this morning with Richard, not Judy? I think it was fa, 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 fa. It was far, 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 far fucking. We'll probably talk about that, yes. Uh, I don't know if anyone did. I don't know how the BBC didn't notice that, but I did I did pretty much swear every single week. But to be honest, we, did, we just pretty much just swore. Anyway, the one I saw just had someone saying cock for about five minutes. I mean, it was talking about cocks fighting, but it became very clear that that was not what. Uh, Andy McCage, uh, he was kindly giving us a clap aboard for the show. Thank you for that, Andy. Uh, so I'll, what was your favourite uh, thing in uh, this morning with shot no. Judy?
4: I like a bird's eye,
0: which is also German for egg. Oh, that was a good bit. I like a bird's eye, which is German for We'll see if we can get Stu. I'm hoping Stu, like when I got Harry Shearer on, I managed to get him to do some of the voices. I'm hoping I can get Stu to do... He's very cool these days, so it'll be hard to get him to see if he could do... I, for me, Pliny is the best thing by far. Seriously. I would happily just watch him do that for the rest of his career. Not because it's good, just it would be satisfying. Uh, so, uh... <laughs> Uh, and uh, did, you, did you say you are? I mean, we look at the Ugov uh, the YouGov, uh, website over the last uh, few weeks, where they have the archetypal Richard Herring fan or whatever fan. Now, well, it does the picture on that website does not look like you, but it should look like you, sir. So, uh, what's your name? Mark. Mark. And did you have a favourite uh, character or moment from this morning, Richard or Judy? Consider the lady. That was a good bit as well. You've got very good taste, uh, all of you. Uh, My favourite, uh, the favourite bit of Pliny is uh, the one I just, the St. George one I just watched the other day because as we're recording this, we've had the controversy over um, the lady tweeting a picture of uh, some flags, some St. George flags, and having to resign for putting a picture on Twitter without comment, which seems weird. Uh, But someone put up the St. George uh, Histor's Eye. uh, My favourite bit is when Histor goes, as the crow flies, and Pliny goes, as the egg. Flies. (laughs) Flies. <laughs> and it's like Pliny was really trying to think of a pun. <laughs> for flies. Can't think of one of this It's <laughs> the best thing uh, that Stuart Lee has ever done. So will you please <laughs> welcome my guest this week. He is probably best known from uh, the uh, Skype up your news.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and... Uh, and for being plenty in in uh, this morning, Rich Not Judy, we welcome Stuart Lee, ladies and gentlemen. Come on in. We've got three beers, three beers, <laughs> and one of them isn't for me. <laughs> How are you doing, Stu? All right. A bit tired. Yeah. It's uh, a <laughs> hard life, isn't it?
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> You'll see.
0: I will. I, well, we, Stuart has two children, I have a child on the way. I was thinking, given that there's, there's two things we could do with our children. A, we could do a Lee and Herring, the next generation, where one of your children and one of my children yeah. team up. We could just give them the same material. Yeah. And no one will no remember. Or, you know, you've got one of each, so whatever I have they could get well, married couldn't yeah. they well, I my, could marry
3: one my, of your... my kids think I'm terrible yeah. at the comedy um, and they because my son stood at the side of the stage and uh, watched me once and said um, he said it's awful he's just talking <laughs> and no one's laughing <laughs> but they think my wife's funny because she used to dress up as things so they yeah. can see that that's supposed to be well, basically they're, they're, they have the sensibilities of children they have the understand <laughs> What it is I'm trying to do, you
0: know. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think they should. You should really wait for t- t- ten or fifteen years, yeah, and then yeah. show they might, they might. They might enjoy it then. So uh, you don't, don't want to have an arranged marriage no. between my yet unborn child and whichever child. No, Could be, would even, no, much. no. Okay, we'll wait and see. But imagine if we, if our children had a child together.
4: Yeah. Imagine, <laughs> imagine what that would be
0: like. I'm going to call my child either Leanne or Leon. Uh, give him a good start. Like uh, so, anyway, uh, we will. We, <laughs> that might that might not make it into the final bit. So um, that's why you should come and see it live. Uh, so the the this is Rich Not Judy began in 1994. Yeah. Do you remember that? Well, I remember
3: that you did a... You were doing um, um, a show in Edinburgh at lunchtime called that. Yeah. And then at the last minute, I, I came in to help fill it up. <laughs> because there wasn't any script or plan. Yeah. But, I, but I didn't... Um, it, it wasn't my thing. No. You know? and, 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 then, um, and then it sort of snowballed a bit. And it was kind of an interesting way of sort of... Uh, satirizing the economics of edinburgh which is that it was you were, you were less likely to lose as much money if you just gave tickets away to something um in the street than you were if you put them through the yeah. normal system which is i don't really understand why 20 years later you're still with the same management company <laughs> given that you saw through it in the mid 90s um and yet you still seem to make a big song and dance about how you're delighted to lose all this money, and yet as a child you essentially saw through and you expect it would be sympathetic in some way to something that you, you saw through as a child. But anyway, that was, that was sort of the idea. It was making like a kind of parody of an Edinburgh show whereby we didn't have anything. We, we tried to give the tickets away to people that would pay for them in the street, and then we sort of did, like, chat and... and um, Mad, made-up guests and actually the looseness of it, because it had no weight of expectation around it, I think actually created a show for the telly that had the same looseness and, and freedom of expectation. I, really. I suppose so. I
0: mean, I don't think we uh, that year, 1994, we weren't even really thinking of putting it yeah. anything. I think well, like Robin Ince came and did some stuff, and uh, yeah. Tom Boobie Binns Tom Bins did uh, little bits yeah. and pieces in it. It was in an attic,
3: and actually, the, the person on before us or after us was this sort of. Uh, a bullyant, overexcited Irishman doing something based on a kind of flimsy piece of pitch about the carpenters, which was Graham Norton, wasn't it? Oh yes, and was yeah, he? thought, uh, oh, he's never going to get any. <laughs> <he, do> <laughs> it
0: really was, but yeah, yeah, I'd actually forgotten the very start of this idea for a TV show. I because I, I took this idea and then I thought um, I had a meeting with uh, Nick. What's the, the guy from Anna and Nick? Was he Nick? Was it Nick? Nick Owen. I was going to say Nick Ross, but it's we're Nick Owen. With Nick I had met Nick Owen at the Ritz. Uh, I, went, uh, I went. You were living Nick. a very different life. <laughs> I, today. I went. Well, because we were trying to court Nick Owen, and so he Who was. Went. The, 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 idea, the original idea for this show was that I would do it in the morning with Nick Owen. It's going to be called "This Morning with Richard and Nick." <laughs> the first, I about uh, no. <laughs> I met Nick you Owen. See what he was doing. He was,
3: <laughs> I, I was just like doing the stand-up circuit, doing like thirty quid gigs in pubs. And Richard Herring was at the Ritz with Nick <laughs> Owen, trying to get his own thing going uh, with him and Nick Owen, yeah. not with me in it. This
0: could be a very different. And then he had to come crawling back because <laughs>
5: Nick
3: Owen.
0: Totally forgotten this. Been, I've just this minute remembered it, but, and of I it, met yeah. up with him because I'd seen him. Like, he'd been on Fancy Football, and he'd been re- and been surprisingly sort of funny and up for a laugh. I life. can't even remember who. I remember his name. Yeah.
3: What was
0: he? It was like a, you know, he was a avuncular uh, T. Adrian
3: Child sort of character. Yeah, yeah.
0: Without the personality, and but he was he was quite going to take the piss out. So it was nearly going to be sort of a semi-serious. Uh, you know, not semi-serious, but t- a piss take, you involving the real right. people from it. Uh, then he wouldn't do it. So I've got you in it. <laughs> but then we did it in Edinburgh. In was it 1994, we gave, I gave away a car uh, as a prize. So we yeah, gave away prizes. So we yeah. spent the money a lot of the money we made from it. When so, we say a
3: car, this was 20 years ago, where um, not all people that own cars expect to have a top-of-the-range new car that they pay for, an <laughs> HP most people 20 years ago were driving around in 30-year-old cars that didn't yeah. work. And that's what he gave me. Well, we,
0: bought, we bought a car for £300. Yeah. I mean, it was still quite a lot of money to spend. Yeah. Uh, but we got some publicity out of it. And then the, the guy came down and said, do you wanna, I think we said, do you want to gamble? He'd won like £10. And we said, yeah. do you want to gamble on that on yeah. the mystery star prize? And he gambled. And he won a £300 car that was that had to tax for about two more months. Yeah. Uh, and he was a student who won it. And he could drive. Uh, but he had a car already and it was the exact same model <laughs> and colour I think of car I think he drove at home and then he cra- I think he might have crashed it yeah. I think I, that might, the memory is just coming back to me but Actually, he's alright that
3: same year I remember I, I was doing the Club Zarathustra show in the sort of barn venue at the Pleasance with Simon Money and Richard Thomas and Simon Money had this idea that he would make a grand entrance onto the stage um, in a little uh, three wheel Robin Reliant ...that would have been decorated with all sort of quasi-fascist regalia... ...and so we bought one... customised it... Be, it's a funny idea, basically you come on stage... ...to sort of Wagner... In a, in a, ...with fascist regalia on a 3 wheeled Robin Reliant... ...and so him and Richard Thomas bought it, did it up... ...it took them about two and a half days to drive it to Edinburgh where they stayed awake with like, amphetamines, I think. And then they got there, and it was about six inches too wide to drive through.
4: <laughs>
3: but yeah, I mean, that's another weird thing. It's funny, it's a, the, the sort of risk-taking... I mean, I, I listened to the first half of this over there, and, I, and it, I, it was me that prompted Paul to uh, say his anecdote about a secret affair, which is actually much funnier... When he told it to me uh, a few weeks ago, <laughs> but, um, but didn't really have the, But the part part of why you were able to develop a show like this that ended up being this sort of mad show on the telly was because the economics was so uh, you know it was so much r- 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 freer then, and you could sort of afford to take chances on things. And I don't know what you you, you couldn't have you know I mean you do it anyway because you seem to have a masochistic delight in unnecessarily losing thousands of pounds, But no one in their right mind now would develop a show with such broad uh, parameters and no obvious aims at Edinburgh. Um, as we did 20 years ago, when, you, when the losses were absorbed for them, when you could raffle a car off that cost you 300 quid. I mean, it, it feels like... It's really weird to get to your, your late 40s and you, you, your descriptions of your own... Adolescence or your 20s, it sounds like you're talking about the 50s, it seems like a long, long was, time ago. It was
0: very different in terms of like, the number of acts. So yeah. like, really, well, I was talking to like, Sue Perkins and just thinking, like, in the 90s, basically there was 20 or 30 people, and you kind of thought, oh, you'll all get your turn eventually. Well, there, I mean, <laughs> you know, there, were,
3: there were There were about yeah, 60 or 70 yeah. comedy shows then, there's like 600 now. Yeah, but, right. and, and also, people did not get their turn. I mean, I can think of all the brilliant people that did shows that are much better than you and some of them better than me as well. And yeah, yeah, loads of them didn't go on to... You know, I mean... Didn't go on to there's loads of brilliant people that we would all have seen in that period that didn't go on to that didn't go on to do anything, you know, and and I, and I don't think there, there was a meritocracy at work, and there isn't now, and there wasn't. I think there. It's
0: not a meritocracy. It was just there was at least a chance. Whereas now, I think there's oh. 600 there's 600 shows, however, and there's lots, of, and people are better, and people are prepared. You know, we genuinely, turned, 1997, we genuinely turned up on the first day without anything, and we and we and we bus. We went to a flat with. Richard Thomas and bust some ideas around with him and then we said, we'll do, yeah, this we and we'll had, do that? Yeah,
3: but we had like, uh, but we both individually, individually and together we had a, a back catalogue of stuff that you could have cobbled together, you know. And I mean, it, 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 whenever you talk about that period, it is worth remembering about all the brilliant people that slipped through the cracks, like Johnny Immaterial, like Kevin McAleer, like, uh, I mean, do you remember that um, Scottish double act? One of the guys is uh, a cartoonist for Private Eye now, Packer. Dallas and Package, remember that? Very that was really game. good. I mean, there's loads of stuff, and uh, uh, and, and, and they're, they're, admittedly, when you talk about last night's show here of, of new materials, uh, of the new acts, there's a professionalism about it, there's a focus about it, there's a work ethic about it that was absent 20, 30 years ago. But I miss the people where you would look at their act, like the Iceman, whose act was. <laughs> He mounted ice. (laughs) (laughs) He didn't have a career plan, you know. And um, you think, I I miss those things.
0: Yeah, Yeah, but there there still are. I mean, I think this, I actually think that what's going on now, you keep harking back to the 1980s as being an amazing time for comedy. And you can say that, but then the 1980s didn't have you in it, for a start. So, so, you know, I think now is. Much, but you know, I think the broad range of stuff you get now is much more exciting, and there are loads of people doing that, those kind of things. Someone like the Iceman was great, yeah. that he would turn up and do his insane thing, but that was. Never going to be much more than that. Some, someone like Mr. Methane is still going, and he's got yeah. that kind of act so that is just a ridiculous act. So, yeah. you, if you had the the staying power to keep doing it, you could yeah, keep yeah. doing it. And I, th- I think that, you know, there's, yeah, there's a lot of. I suppose. There's a lot too professional, compare,
3: slick people. When you but, but, compare Mr. Methane to the Iceman, yeah. I suppose. <laughs> Ultimately, farts are funnier than ice. They
0: are. <laughs> I mean, maybe they man, should have man. got together. And, uh,. Done something where he farted on we'll, ice and, and you then it we'll yeah, melted. Yeah. Yeah. Some kind of fire and ice and gas. Well, <laughs> then it starts to become profound. They do. Yeah. <laughs> that's what they do. But, you know, I, I, really, I think there is, I think there's a lot of very exciting comedians now. But I just, I think it would be. I know very you say, I read on I, your
3: blogs that you say that. Yeah, but I think that's because you try to keep in with them.
4: <laughs> it isn't. It is. It
3: is. It is. You try to keep in care. with them.
0: I'm, I'm aware. Oh, no, I'm not go, in with oh, I had this
3: young person on the. I'm not big, even in with they the weren't right. Yeah. But you try to keep in with them. I'm not even in
0: with the people I worked with 20 years ago. No, so I that's mean, you try that's keeping with. The I mean, I've the noticed you all on TV, and I've noticed I'm not in any of those TV <laughs> shows.
3: So I know that I'm not in I with. any you like to be seen yeah. as some sort of gatekeeper? <laughs> I don't... Like patronising the young people.
0: I know. I'm. I'm. I'm yielding. I am. I'm lying down, yeah. allowing them to run over me. I have no. <laughs> I'm defeated uh, let's face it but uh, so we did so we, we did, I mean I think like the influences for this morning for me because I think this was it was something I, I remember you were more cautious and not sure about well doing. I'd had enough you know
3: <laughs> on television and I, 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 I the first series of Fist of Fun I liked the aesthetic of it and I liked the I liked the amount of preparation and planning we did for it the second one I didn't like the look of it and I was panicked about how we were rushed into it and I didn't really want to do anything again and this was this was your thing and I piggybacked into it but I think actually because it was I think it was thrown together and you had to write loads every week it was actually very good for me to have to think like that because I like to meticulously plan things and I think that it was a it was a great uh, thing to have to work on the hoof and also the fact that it was film live made all the difference because Something that was new that you don't that you've been working on that week as a dialogue still had that flavour of yeah you know, and weirdly about you know when you look, when you when you look at the the dialogues that are floating around on YouTube when we're doing the dub black stuff together some of it works some of it doesn't but the stuff that works really well is, is really great because it was really happening in real time and it was still sort of being assembled at the point where it was filmed and one of the problems you have with comedy for telly is it it, it necessarily has the dead hand of rehearsal on it which can help it but can also take the edge off it and in this second series of Fist of Fun there was material that wasn't properly written which had also been rehearsed to death <laughs> <laughs> and, um, in, uh, but in this you sort of had the, the thing where it was it was still like yeah. you know Coming together in, in well, front and we're of making stuff up as we go yeah, along. Yeah.
0: And I think it was very, that was very exciting and vital that it is live. But yeah, we are. You can see us making up ideas and making each other laugh yeah. on on the on the actual air. And yeah, when it does, but also when it doesn't work, it's still great because I think we didn't feel that at the time. No. But when it doesn't work, it's actually great. When you're, there's a bit where you're, I remember it happening where the, one of the early interviews, you were confused about what was going on, but they were talking to me about what was going on, and they had, oh, you yeah. were talking, so they weren't talking to you but yeah. then you're going, can someone tell me what you are handing? And go, what's yeah, going yeah. on? And uh, well, how long have we got for this bit? And it's kind of funny, because yeah, yeah. that shouldn't happen on TV. No, uh,
3: <laughs> well, But actually, most of it was things that shouldn't yeah. happen on TV. And actually loads of things that we... We tried really hard to do lots of things that we weren't allowed to do on television. Like, I remember I, I had a real beer in my bonnet about how... Because sort of we were sort of aware that it was going out early on Sunday morning and in the late 90s there was, there was a drug called ecstasy that lots of people took and there was a whole culture of people going out and dancing to, on this drug and we were sort of aware that there was a kind of come down culture people had been out all night watching the programme or, or just people had been out on like Saturday night drinking and I, I sort of liked the idea that it would be jarring and upsetting to them to wake up and watch this programme and um, I remember the one wanted things that would make them feel ill that they were watch and one of the things we tried to do was to put the theme music for um, things that fall over or when insects attack much much louder than anything else and it was from a piece by the avant-garde composer Harrison Birtwistle and I wanted to go in like really really loud and, uh, but it turned out there was all these rules BBC rules about volume you couldn't put it in you can't suddenly have volume shifts a limiter will kick in and then we did we worked we, so we looked into this and we worked out the way Brian Eno got round this on producing a, a Talking Heads album was that instead he, wasn't, he wanted to increase the volume but he wasn't allowed to so he increased certain densities of certain frequencies so that it felt like it was getting louder even though it didn't actually go over anyway we did that to um, <laughs> To the uh, we we did a thing of treating certain frequencies so they were more penetrating on the intro music to um, when things fall over and when it, which lasts it's about a five second bit but it was there, there were lots of things that we managed to do that we weren't really supposed to do including just jarring sonic pain for people yeah. in the mornings uh, so there were all sorts of things like that happened. Well, I think it was I kind
0: of really wanted this time slot and you were kind of dubious about it but I I liked it because it was. You know, I think the Sunday show had done the slot before us but I kind of thought, A, yeah. it's live. I think the thing that was great for us is we'd done two series of Fist Fun which were not only rehearsed but when, they, when we recorded them we had to do everything 15 times. Yeah. And so what was really appealing about this morning was we, didn't, we only did it once. Even If it went wrong, it went wrong but we only got to do it once. So that, and that meant we were, it was a 45-minute record and then it was over and yeah. then we went and drank vodka and Red Bull all afternoon. Uh, amazing times. <laughs> it was an amazing time for comedy. but uh, they. Uh, <laughs> I, I, uh, I was very influenced in it, which I think you'll spot by the banana splits, which most people will be too young to remember. But that's, that was what I really I wanted. And it really, the banana splits had the same thing, which was a, there was a real kind of drug influence on there. <laughs> I think the people were probably on drugs in the banana splits, which we weren't. And Tiz was, which, again, I was watching a bit, which goes a little bit too far in the second episode where we've got the king. And we, we asked for the king who's got the least money on them. And then it's a little tiny kid, like he's uh, called about 10 years old, but he's really brilliant. His, his edict is that Jim Davidson should be shut up in a prison. Uh, and, uh, wow, he was ahead of <laughs> his time. <laughs> uh, well, I'm just taking my cue from Tizzle's. I'm just really shouting in this kid's face in a way you kind of go, oh, that's actually... Well, that's, that's
3: interesting you bring that up because um, uh, well, I grew up in the Midlands and um, in the early 70s, there was this... Strange thing that happened, Chris Tarrant, bizarrely, who now seems like a pillar of the establishment, and various people like John Gorman, who were from 60s avant-garde theatre, and like weird kind of uh, uh, pro alternative comedy groups, um, David Rappaport, who was yeah. an early acolyte of Ken Campbell, who's one of the sort of avatars of uh, weird pre-alternative comedy. Um, and and Lenny Henry who was like doing alternative comedy before it had a name and and, um, they they all had this strange slot on ATV, Midlands Independent Television on um, Saturday mornings where they sort of did this bizarre anarchic programme which we we remember as being proto-punk and sort of psychedelic hippie kind of programme but actually it's full of the usual racist and sexist early 70s (laughs) if you go back and look at it but your memory of it is being this sort of unlicensed uh, period, And there was a very anodyne BBC copy of it, uh, Swap Shop, uh, with uh, Noel Edmonds, which is sort of the same thing, but with every single piece of imagination or genius <laughs> taken out of it. <laughs> and, um, but you, where you lived as a child, you got that, didn't you? I got, you got it in
0: Loughborough, in Loughborough and then, yeah. but then I moved from Loughborough when I was eight to Cheddar, and yeah. I got to Cheddar, and the man in store in the TV, my sister said, do you have shang in this... Uh, which was the basic rollers. She, my sister was obsessed with the basic rollers. And then we went, yes. And she went, yes. And then I said, do you have was?" And he said, no. And I cried. Yeah. I was 28 years old. And actually... <laughs> I... But
3: actually, I think, I think a lot of things that you do as an adult, you don't really realise. You're, um, you're trying to recreate things that were profoundly... Yeah. You, you know, it made an impression on you as a child. And actually, I think... Look, looking at it now with, with 20 years hindsight there, there was a sort of Wars thing going I'm thinking well you know, you know how can you how do they get away with that on a Saturday morning and how can we get away with the same kind of thing on a, on a Sunday morning and partly why we got away with it to be fair was because no one was remotely interested in it and so um, <laughs> no one even watched it to check what was going out and when it stopped no one noticed and um, when it was going out not, and in fact one week um, two things that give you giving an indication of the extent to which no one's interested in it one week about five minutes before we're supposed to do the live transmission, Charlie Hansen the producer who also wasn't that interested in it to be honest he, uh, just not really interested in anything he does he, um, he was very good but he doesn't care but he um, he does Derek, I mean Jesus Christ he obviously like, doesn't give a fuck does he he um, he uh, <laughs> He's very good at, you know, realising the vision of the artist. But, um, but he's not. But he, uh, he told us... There was a kind of panic at about 12.10 before it started to not No one had turned the transmission thing on, had they? Right. There was some thing that was supposed to broadcast it from the studio. And it had been written down as like a VT. You're being played in. and they, right. they had to, like, put it onto some other thing uh, to get it to work. Then another week, it used to go out live on the Sunday... And I remember I, I used to do the edit with an with a editor guy on, like, the Thursday. And then he used to go out live 45, 50 minutes on Sunday morning. Then there was an edit for the Friday night. And it would go out at 6.15 on the Friday, 6.30 on the Friday, a half-hour edit. And I used to do the edit on Thursday afternoon. And I remember one Thursday morning we were in rehearsal for the next week's show. And the Evening Standard came in. This is in the old days when there was newspapers before you all just looked at things on, online. A newspaper came in. And I went, oh, fuck, look. And we were, they'd moved it to the Thursday night. But no one had told us. No one had told us. So no one had made the half hour edit. So the programme was supposed to go out. didn't exist. And no one had thought it was worth telling us. That it was going out. They'd moved it because there was tennis on. Or live coverage of a lawnmower or something. So they moved it. And then we had to do the editing about... Two hours that yeah. afternoon. So that's an indication of the extent to which no one was interested. And in the in the last few weeks when it was supposed to be being cut, we did, to be fair, we did have our people that supported us, like Paul um, Jackson Jackson and a couple of other people. And I remember they were desperately trying to get uh, Jane Root, who was in charge of BBC at the time, to just come and see it just once so she would know what it was she was cancelling. And this just kind of never came. But actually, those things in retrospect mean that because no one was interested in it and no one tried to stop what we were doing because they didn't even know it was on you you, you mustn't view this as like some struggle of outlaw artists against authority it wasn't authority was not interested or aware so it was not like a heroic struggle it was just something that happened like someone doing a fart in a lift but but there was no one in the lift so it wasn't like it wasn't like just nothing, Harry. and then, and then, then, and then, twenty years later, you've got all this
0: stuff that was somehow allowed to happen. But it does look insane. But I remember John Plowman, who was the executive yeah. producer, uh, saying one way. I can't remember what it was, but saying if you there was something we wanted to keep in. I mean, that we had a lot of power because we could keep it in. I suppose because it was live. Yeah. And he said, if you cut, if you if you don't cut this, I think it'll be a problem for getting extra stuff. And we kept the thing in. There's a bit in one I saw where you were just at the end. You go. Um, uh, on Sky TV, they show The Simpsons and and Seinfeld at good times, at proper times. You're kind of complaining about yeah, when yeah, we're going yeah. out, and then say and basically say go and watch Sky <laughs> instead. Of, <laughs> yeah. So it's just and you kind of think, like, yeah, I can probably see why the BBC weren't that.
3: But you know what? They, 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 they should have been sort of accountable yeah, on yeah. some level because there was a kind of weird thing where you know you were supposed to be grateful, which we obviously were. but On the other hand, they. That, that all the things in the nineties, all the things that comedians loved. I mean, we, all comedians loved Seinfeld, you know. And yet, and the BBC had that, and yet it was out at eleven forty-five. Yeah, well, night, they, they put the Sim-
0: they didn't. They, they had The Simpsons. They put it out on I a believe. Saturday at five or yeah. something, and they didn't know. And then Seinfeld and Larry Sanders were on in the middle of the night. Yeah. And and you go anywhere else in the world, and those things were both on at six o'clock every single night yeah, because yeah. everyone loved them. So uh, I suppose it was sort of
3: you know we sort of thought we were. I suppose we sort of thought arrogantly we were belonged in that world, and that's why we those
0: people. And <laughs> well, it's you know, it's I think we did. Uh, it's, uh, it's, I think because of that, it's very anarchic, and it's very you know, the the ones I have watched again, they're, they're, there's a real excitement to it because it's live, and there's and it's really, there's this there's, there's a bit where Joanne wins the ironic review, which again sort of is very much like. Things that were later to come, a sort of fly-on-the-war documentary about, uh, about a, 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 an officer well, a magazine of idiots, of, of, uh, of uh, the kind of Shoreditch twats yeah. uh, that would later get their own series uh, in it, for someone else writing it. Uh, but I was basically for like three minutes just saying the word cock, about cockfighting, but it very clearly queerly becomes that she's talking about the men's cocks. And she kind of think that's kind of I that wouldn't go out at nine, nine o'clock or eight at thirty now. So it's sort of it's uh, sort of been strange. And yeah, and, and as someone mentioned, I would or every week swear during the songs when it's we are crowning I mean, the king. Yeah, every week it, we, I would go, there's only one king, wanking, wanking, and then fa fa, fa 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 king fa king. Every week I would do you that. You must be
3: very proud of really, I
0: am very proud, proud of it. I'm still proud. Uh,
3: Do you think that Partly why you're allowed To do that Is because people Would have been embarrassed
0: (laughs) 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 Lots of it's insane The first series Ends with us singing hymns Do you remember We've got the audience To sing a hymn I'll tell you what
3: It's been very interesting Coming here I don't really remember anything about it. I don't really... I mean, I, I don't remember much, to be honest. You remember right? a lot about the editing process. But I know, but like... I don't remember much from about 1995 to 2001. But we and do... I don't know why that is. And I, but, but, but what's nice about it is when, when things pop up on YouTube... Like There was a, there was a thing this week where there was a as Eye sketch about the England flag. And because there's been people talking about the England flag this week, it sort of popped up on the internet... And I watched it, and I have no memory of doing it or having anything to do with it. And I was, I was sort of enjoying it. I said, "You know, that's really funny, that voice, that crow's voice. So it's sort of like you, I sort of, They kind of take me by surprise, as if I have no relationship with them. And I, I do have a... I, I think I mean, we should do a, Hister
0: and Pliny for real, well, as a, real, a, a genuine uh, kid's show. Well, I think the, you,
3: the problem is, right, I don't want to... Okay, those puppets, right... We designed those puppets and then a cartoonist and then a model person made them. And then they went... um, The the BBC had them, obviously. Then after the series finished, a number of things happened. One was my electric guitar, which I would had for about 20 years, which I'd used in a sketch in it, was mysteriously lost and no one offered to compensate me for that. And the other thing that happened was a Fender copy. It was really good. And the uh, other thing that happened was that the the puppets of Kistor and Pliny stayed at the BBC and started being used as sort of background artists in Saturday morning kids show television stuff which really irritated us so we managed to get them back but tragically when I just moved recently I put the Pliny in the cellar but I didn't know the cellar wasn't uh, damp proofed oh no yeah he's got all like a kind of crust on him now <laughs>
0: Well, his store—I've got his store He's
3: rotted basically.
0: Yeah, I've got his store, but all of his limbs have fallen off, and so we should do it with the rotters. Exactly the kind of thing
3: that. The Leicester Square Theatres Museum of Comedy, <laughs> uh, displaying
0: could, in its own cabinet. We could yeah. remake the puppets. I mean, they yeah. were expensive. They were like three thousand pounds each, I seem to remember in the nineteen nineties. But they were really? expensive to make. They were because oh, it was mine was slightly.
3: <laughs> his still had a slight animatronic. Yeah, eye but you were and never good enough to use it. Really. <laughs> you just sort of rocked him around. Yeah. I did that and, on uh, purpose. Moved his mouth um, in a. I think it was irrelevant to what you were saying. Much, very <laughs>
0: much like Tommy Cooper playing the, yeah. the piano band. Well, you behind. had to be sorry, really good at it to yeah, do yeah, it wrong. you had to be, yeah.
3: Mm, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> no, I mean, no, those, do, those do have a, a brutal quality about them. Yeah. I think it's really funny. It's sort of like, and I, Again, I'm, I'm sort of, you know, things take you, take you by surprise because you can't, you can't actually remember it. I mean, I remember just being, that we used to have to do those at the end of the morning... And it really hurt your arm, and I was yeah, I think really we tired. Did,
0: I think we did, like, five in a row. I mean, yeah, I think you know, we
3: recorded them all in a day, and yeah, I just you remember it. To, You had to wear a balaclava. I mean, I know, like, people who work in mines, <laughs> that's really hard and stuff. But I had to crouch behind a wall, wearing a balaclava, holding my arm up, doing a high voice for about five funny. hours once. And... Um, you know, really
0: do you remember difficult. where they came? from Do you remember where the idea of Histos Eye came from? Though it was in a, uh, we wrote a radio pilot with uh, which was going to have Steve Coogan and Patrick Marvin and We did, we recorded, it, I think, called Corridor, which was, uh, and God, then I was going to yeah. do it as whatever became of
3: where we did yeah, a yeah, sort yeah. of like
0: a parody of the Profumo affair. <laughs> and so it was looking, it was looking back
3: at in history, which needed. To be <laughs> You'll notice the Profumo <laughs> affair has not raised its head since since that was <laughs> never broadcast. <laughs> And so then I don't know why I
0: mean, we obviously came up with his store, door, his store's eye, because we thought yeah. his store's eye. Uh, but I don't know why. I mean, Pliny obviously is a, a st- Roman historian, historian yeah. but I don't, it's kind of an odd leap to make to name them that. What well, to you, maybe? Yeah. You know, that's yeah, the way
3: I work. But Pliny was. Yeah.
0: Uh, Pliny's an amazing character.
3: Well, it's very kind of you to say, but I don't. Yeah. But again, I don't remember giving any thoughts here. I just yeah. remember thinking that it was. It sort of it, it, it worked well. That
0: do you think we should the, do that when we do the commentaries for these episodes? Should we do one whole episode as history?
3: Well, I don't know <laughs> if I could. I don't know if I could even get that. Do that voice I anymore? Mean, it's too think, high. Think to do it but, for
0: forty-five minutes yeah. of just finding egg pockets. They're, they're just. You no, know, they, I, I mean
3: I, really find, I do find those really funny ones. See, and I And I again, but again, it, the, I mean it, it's funny. It's strange, like being forced to confront these things with. a Distance, because you, you can't remember having done them. So it's like another person did them, and of course you'll tell me, realistically, another person did do them, because yeah. there's no, you know, your whole body's been replaced since then on a cellular level. <laughs> I will um, tell you that, and it is true. It's the kind of thing you say. <laughs> it is. But, uh,
0: but so it you, look, you look
3: at them and you can sort of enjoy them, and, but it seems arrogant because you go, ah, that's really <laughs> No, oh, I did that. Ah. But it's, but I do, I do like those. I think. they're I think I, they, they, they have a cumulative effect as well of the sort of uh, uh, irritation level yeah. of them uh, you know, uh, good
0: yeah. good and uh, we'll talk about this uh, but there's one episode where we are both at the beginning we start each episode with quite a weak thing where we dress us up from something from the week and then it, just go I'm Jeremy Clarkson welcome to
2: this
3: but there was one where we started both dressed as Jimmy Savile do you remember this one <laughs> yeah well, again I, have, I had no memory of it yeah. Until this Jimmy Savile thing came out and then it was on the internet. I don't remember doing it. Um, but, um, yeah, we're running... We're, it's the London Marathon, that we, week. We're in the London Marathon, we're both just Jimmy Savile. We're sort of running towards the camera. And you say... I
0: go, it goes... It's uh, basically going, now, then, now, then, now, then, now, then. And then we go, uh, it's London Marathon. I hope no-one dies. And then I think you say, uh, if they do, Bagsy, I take them to
3: the morgue. <laughs> or the other <we're> like, no. <laughs> <Now, laughs> But why that was is... This is an interesting thing. (laughs) Now, because Jerry Sadovitz, who's a much better comedian than either of us, did a routine about uh, Savile in the 80s, and he's now being hailed by uh, journalists. Oh, he he lifted the lid. But actually, we didn't know anything about it. There was this insane rumour that everyone (coughs) heard about. It was like a joke that Jimmy Savile was a necrophiliac. And, of course, it was ludicrous because no one was a necrophiliac. So you couldn't possibly believe it was real. And, of course, we wouldn't have done that joke if we thought it was real. So it was just like a response to this mad, stupid sort of showbiz rumour. It's as ludicrous as the Mark Armand one, which the more you think about, not possible, is it? I mean, how would you... They don't have the technology to analyse dogs' birth. So it's not... And it seemed like in the same... World as that, which is why we did that joke, and think it was real. And um, then suddenly, you think, oh, we're like prophets, I didn't really know. Well, I found surprise. I remember we tried to do a few
0: Jimmy Savile jokes in different shows, and we were told we couldn't do it because the reason he got away with it all, really, ironically, as, as it turned out, is because he was very litigious. So if you said anything, he would sue. So the BBC, our producer, would say, Oh, don't make a joke about Jimmy Savile because if you, if you do anything slightly euphemistic around anything around that, he'll sue. And that's how he kept that power. Ironically, now the BBC are having to pay out. Rather more yeah, money yeah, than yeah. they would have had to do for our stupid joke, but I can't understand why that one. Well, again, maybe it it's to do
3: with the, the way the thing, the thing was. You know, maybe it was just at the last minute. You know, and no one had time to check it. I mean, there were there were things like we that. Had costumes it. on. Someone had got us some. Admittedly, not a very good costume. Uh,
0: so we'll uh, we'll quickly. Uh, do you remember uh, just in the in the milk drinking thing? There was a bit with the unusual music in that that I think you must have chosen. Was that was that was that different? It goes it goes food and milk, and then there's a bit when we reveal the milk. It goes. Bah, bah, bah,
4: bah, 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 bah. Did you choose
0: that music? That was fucking insane. Uh, so. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, There's uh, Men of Achievement 1974, which I was very upset.
5: Uh... Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down.
0: Not now is popular, but there it was. <laughs> I was very upset that that never p- kicked off. I thought that was going to be the, the real
3: yeah, the thing that yeah. p- has
0: propelled us to the big time, which was genuinely a book. I think people didn't understand what it was. Yeah. But you'd found it at a. No, you we Well,
3: we found it at a, some junk shop. We had a few but copies. Again, this, of it. And this is another weird thing about this. Is that it's sort of, we would find an odd thing, like a weird leaflet or a strange book, and think or let's do something with this and and in in Fist of Fun very much the first series particularly had a a sensibility of sort of bricolage of all these sort of found objects cobbled together and I suspect that sensibility has sort of disappeared because of the internet because you can find things because there's websites called Stuff I Found on the Floor and things like that (laughs) so everyone can kind of do that whereas I think part of what informed our sense of humour was like random things that we found on the floor and then we or, or just in a junk shop, and then we would sort of think, well, what if you chose to focus in massively on this? But of course, that, I think that sort of sensibility has disappeared because the younger, because people today expect to be able to find anything they're looking for. I mean, another example of that was um, the lettuce. Uh, lettuce. The, with this thing with a sort of family of vegetables, and we just sort of move them around and make <laughs> stupid noises, and it was sort of received with. <laughs> Hostil- naked hostility, yeah. really. But then in, in the 11. Was it called the 11 o'clock show? Yeah. Afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. They had a thing which was the same about two years later, but it was like vibrators and dildos and things. It was just like a rip off of it, but it, it was like with sex toys, so like morons would laugh at it, you know? And uh, so there, there were weird kind of things, that, were sort of pointless things. But then other people had the genius. Uh, to make them obscene, <laughs> therefore funny. One on of it. the
0: uh, sons, I think, of one of the men of achievement 1974 we featured, once emailed me to ask me why we did it. Yeah. Uh, and he said, Was it? And I said, It was out of a sense of just this is a ridiculous vanity project and it was kind of funny. Well, to very he had to a, say that. To he, had a, he had a funny. <laughs> and he said, was It was partly because we chose funny pictures because they yeah, were all yeah. the guys with stupid faces. Well, hair. it was a
3: book where people basically paid to be in a book in yeah. 1974 to say yeah. that they were important.
0: Uh, and there was a, you know, much ju- like
3: Rich appearing in major venues at Edinburgh now. <laughs> uh, so, um, well,
0: we talking about Rod Hull, uh, who we were going to try and do uh, Rod Hull sketches in the second series uh, this morning, Rich not Judy, uh, but um, unfortunately, as we sat on the set rehearsing the first episode, after having recorded six episodes of. Uh, a sketch where the character of Rod Hull, a man who thinks he's Rod Hull or pretends to be Rod Hull in return for getting jelly, does a task, but because he refuses to have a false, admit that he has a false arm during the task, he then dies at the end of each sketch. We then got the news, as we sat on set, that the real Rod Hull
3: had fallen off of the roof. And I would, I would hope that the... Rich could remember... He may remember better than I would hope that we took a moment to... Feel awful about Rod Hull <laughs> before we realised we had a massive gap in next week's. Uh,
0: I, I the first thing I thought was, "Oh fuck, we can't do the sketches." No, right. <laughs> and then I thought, "Ah, it is sad that the man is dead."
4: Well, but yeah, he, I mean, we did
0: meet him, so it was it was uh, sad that he died. But that was uh, again that's that was uh, you can see one of them is online. Gareth Karavek, uh, his son, uh, has uh, Gareth Karavek, who was our director, who has also sadly died. Uh, he, uh, he, uh, his son edited one of them together, so if you go on, go on YouTube or I suspect on this DVD somewhere, uh, you will be able to uh, find one of them put together in most of its glory. But we recorded about four or five.
3: Yeah, there was a rugby one as well, wasn't it, they didn't make it? Yeah, yeah. There's
0: rugby, There's a fencing one. Yeah. I don't know if we've got the scripts anywhere. I mm. mean, you know, enough time has passed. I remember John Plowman... <laughs> I doubt he'll be able to get <laughs> his own vehicle now. John Plowman <laughs> asked, to, asked to watch them to check whether it was all right. I remember him going up, and I just watched the sketches. And then he, went, he came back, and went, yeah, we can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> it was, but we did have a little tribute to Rod Hull at the end of that series. Did we? Well, yeah, I think at the end it, was, it ended with the false Rod Hull sitting by the phone going, ring, please ring, why is no one ringing me anymore?
3: Again, that whole Rod Hull thing was another thing that came out of um, on the radio. We used to we used to write the scripts in the day and then throw these voices at the last minute at people and uh, we said to Kevin Eldon, can you do Rod Hull? And he went no and he did this sort of <laughs> kind of voice. <laughs> we went, oh, that'll do. I think and he had a then, cold as well. so yeah, he green, cold green, yeah, green. and then that sort of suggested this other character that was someone doing it, it, it wasn't Rod Hull, pretending to be. And so lo- lots of things are as a result of accidents and the, uh, the fact that um, the show went out live and was put together in a hurry I think g- gave you... Uh, it forced you to to, to to try to run with things that perhaps, um, if you'd had more time, you would have abandoned. But which, because of that, became quite good things in their own right.
0: Yeah. We, I think we ended up doing more uh, Simon Quinlanck as a result of uh, that. Not sure they were quite as good as the ones from the... No. There was that weird one. With the, was the last one? Was that in Fist of Fun or was that in um, This Morning? where they, The last one was where he basically went mad and saw loads of images of himself... Yeah, I remember, well, I remember
3: doing a load of drawings. Yeah, the, yeah. Well, that was good fun, wasn't it? That was nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs>
0: uh, and uh, yeah, so we uh, maybe we could get the uh, the other guys uh, back on if we like. Are you around, uh, Trevor and uh, Paul Putner? Yeah. Come back in, in, find a seat and come in. Give it round of applause. When to you Trevor. say find a seat, they can sit down. We'll find some seats.
3: Okay. <laughs> sit over here. <laughs> <laughs> you sit in that one. You sit in that one. You sit in that one. I'll go on the end. <laughs> you sit
0: there. <laughs> so, uh, ask them some questions, Stu. Ask these before what they what remember us.
3: Favourite character that you have played, (laughs) which Herring has made you do.
2: Um, I I, I think Peter Gibbs. Yeah, we didn't talk about Peter Gibbs. You know what's uh, really
3: awful? Peter Gibbs was... um, This was this... When Things Fall Over, um, which was like a parody of these kind of cheap um, cable channel shows of clips of low-level disasters. And um, uh, we, we wrote it together, but the impetus was basically... My memories of my childhood of being in a sort of divorced family with various people, and, like having to do access days, and you know the the sort of meat of it, leading up to the the uh, the stuff falling on the people was all just actual memories <laughs> from my childhood. And I, and I uh, mean the bit when you're in your pants. There was a bit where Peter Gibbs is the father of the little boy, and he's just in his pants, and he's watching television and uh, he's eating yoghurt and all the yoghurt goes That's all over beetroot. him beetroot what was wrong. he eating beetroot beetroot yeah well, my, with my, well it's based on Saturdays with my dad and uh, he'd eat like different snacks that he got out of little pots and they would inevitably get he didn't. He only used to wear underpants at the weekend he didn't wear any clothes and he's um, a hilarious bloke um, and um, the tragedy about those things all the people that I wrote about who seemed comical to me at the time they're all dead now <laughs> well they are and it's, and it's a weird like I don't think I'll be able to watch them again because it seemed you'd sort of fed this stuff into this rather light hearted thing and then as you get older and you become a parent you sort of think about what would have been going through those people's minds as adults dealing with children dealing with their relationships and when we wrote this programme, I was 27, 28, and you were still young enough to not really have any real connection with the world, and, um, or with responsibilities or emotional ties. And, uh, well,
0: they, they, I think they're very, you know, there, there's a there's a kindness to them. There's a yeah. there's a feeling of that within the. Within, I mean, it's sort of, it, it's great within a sketcher that's got stupid stuff like talking organs and lettuce <laughs> leaves. To have something that was suddenly quite yeah. dark, and but I mean, that happens a lot in the show. There's a lot yeah. of very but the dark. the journey, bits. the
2: arc of Peter Gibbs, yeah. it yeah, starts yeah. off where he just talks about uh, his son getting stung by a bee, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just him sort of talking about you know being a weekend dad and stuff like yeah, that. Well,
3: you did it incredibly well. <laughs> I mean, you, were, you were given a very lightweight thing, and you gave a terrible depth to it. <laughs> oh, but, <laughs> but 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 the, the you know.
2: Well you had me rolling around in my pants <laughs> Well, outside, with Emma yeah, Kennedy opening the uh, opening the curtains going fucking
3: hell
2: <laughs> uh, which is mined but you can clearly see
3: it. yeah I mean I, I remember a number of things I remember I remember going in the white line of Mortimer on um, on uh, Strad Green Road in the afternoon once and there being this couple that had obviously got a divorce but were trying to thrash something out and uh, they were having some pub lunch you know and the man was, the woman had held it together and the man was getting more and more depressed and desperate and that that went into a whole one of those and the thing of uh, I remember stumbling across the pornography collection of one of my mum's boyfriends and that went into one of those where all the pornography <laughs> fell out on
4: his
0: head. It's so it's so well meaning, and the one in the pub where you she. she it's, it's really nice because they're, the, they're in the pub and you're trying to reconcile she's just meeting up with you and she's having spaghetti and you're really cross that she's having this is yeah. really yeah, yeah. Well, I mean it's age was... 1990s food but it's a really horrible looking plate of spaghetti with red
3: sauce on it she's yeah. just sophisticated that was just this thing that I saw and, I, and I, weirdly I don't know if I would do that now because I don't, I don't I would feel bad about looking at someone's life and thinking oh god that's awful how can we make a, a funny sketch? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't think I could do that now. And I, I would, I would go through all sorts of layers of distancing and of changing details. And the tragedy is, it wouldn't be as funny because there's something about a real detail that yes. is normally absolutely perfect, and it wouldn't, you couldn't imagine the thing um, because there's something about the banality of everyday life and the mundanity of things that is just. Absolutely perfect, and I think I, I, pretty soon after we worked on those, I would never have done anything like that again because I would have felt really bad about being like a vampire, sort of feeding off people's uh, unhappiness and misery and the sort of. <laughs>
2: know, for a laugh. For a laugh. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I
3: couldn't do it now, and actually, you know, the, 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 I think there's a window that you miss where you, you have a freedom. To do those kind of things, and I think as you become sort of uh, drawn into society as a result of marriage or children or you know relationships with other kids' parents or whatever, you don't have that freedom to find it all utterly banal and abhorrent because you're a part of it. Do, do you, you think, think got,
2: that when John Cleese said, you know, oh, well, sketch comedy is a young man's game, yeah. is that what he was kind of uh, hinting at? That you're able to go. Ah, oh, look at this loser! Look, yeah. he's a failed showbiz and showbiz entertainer. Yeah. Look at these failed adults, and you're playing people, you know, a lot older than yourself. And you suddenly go, Ah, oh,
3: yeah, you're that person. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's not a bad thing to be involved in society and have responsibilities to children. As you'll you'll find, you may enjoy, you may get some blogs out of it, but uh, yeah, but you you'll find that <laughs> that you do suddenly things that you. Previously had a distance for from and found ridiculous. You're a part of them, so it's harder to get a distance on them. And that that whole the, the family relationships in um, when things fall over, that was sort of one of the you know there, there was a if it had been five years later, I couldn't have written those because um, they they would be too close to home and um, also they it would, it would have felt like a betrayal of of trust. But I but you know I, I probably. I'm not really looking forward to seeing him again. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think when I, when I tell my son that my dad spent the whole weekend just in his pants <laughs> watching sport and giving me like. Beetroot. Beetroot. <laughs> sort of jam out of pots on bread. He finds it hilarious, which gives me the, the suggestion that on some level I'm, I'm better than that.
4: But like, I don't know. <laughs>
3: You know, but, but I think it's also a look back to you know, the 70s, 80s when there's a sort of pressure. Parents now are supposed to be... You're supposed to do stuff and uh, engage. You know. Really, we were, I think we were... Just, I mean, I remember being... I might even have panned in that in, in one of those episodes. I remember just being sort of left in a car outside a pub with crisps. Do you remember that? Did that happen to you? Were you just like left? Oh, yeah. I mean, course? I don't remember it from the show. <laughs> no, but do you remember being just shut in a car outside a pub
0: I was once when I was a baby I was left in a car for uh, a bit too long and well, yeah, yeah, my, yeah, my parents came back and I'd nearly died yeah. uh, and was, you know, I was really red yeah. and they'd left me a bit too long with the window open a little bit and yeah. uh, I think it probably accounts for a lot but you know you sort of think if that had happened if they'd yeah. left another half an hour that's no I mean, story, that, that
3: whole thing about yeah. families then it was about that sort of rather more robust attitude people had to yeah. kids and family in that period I'm like you know I mean I don't remember being sort of yeah you get you get a pub you pull up outside the car you pull in the car outside the pub your dad goes in gets you a can of coke and a packet of crisps and he locks you in the car <laughs> like there are people who have gone to prison for that now but in the 60s in the 70s that was you know at least you had crisps you know it's like that was considered a sort of you know a thoughtful parent and then they would drive you home drunk you know and that, that whole thing was, that, that, that was the only, that's one of the only things, weirdly, in my whole life of doing comedy that I've ever put any of my self into. And uh, I did that because I was confident it would be forgotten Richard Herring and Chris Evans of Go Faster Strike have excavated it and now made me confront this terrible history. That would be a good for
2: I think. At uh, least I'm... I can look at you as my son. <laughs> And well, did you did you
0: cover Emma Kennedy in baked beans out of some sexual desire to see Emma Kennedy cover I can't Kennedy remember what that was beans? about.
3: I, me- I can't remember what that was about. I remember. I, I don't know. Did that happen to your mum? No. <laughs> no. I don't know what that was about. No, that wasn't. I can't actually remember that one. No. It was when... I, rem- I remember. Weirdly, again, this dates it. That um, when when we filmed the one where all the pornography fell out of the cupboard on the child's head, <laughs> the um, the the editors of Men Only got in touch with us. And said thanks for plugging our <laughs> magazine. <laughs> and they sent loads of pornography okay. to them. Yeah, yeah, And the, two bl- the bloke that was the editor went on to be quite a good comedy writer, actually. And one of them was, yeah, yeah anyway, right, sketch people. But it was kind of weird, like it was uh, sort of, again, looking back to the 90s, I thought, oh yeah, here you are. But it was funny, wasn't it? Like that kind of uh, people would get in touch. Remember when we went to get those shirts?
0: Yeah, we went to. Well, you were ridiculous because you were so concerned about. We went to Ted Baker. To the actual, they wanted like, to give us some
3: shirts. So Ted we went, Baker. To, we
0: went to Ted Baker, which we made you know, made really expensive shirts in we, the nineties when they yeah. were trending. And uh, to, with a view to wearing their shirts on TV, <laughs> and uh, and it was quite the the costume lady had sorted this all out for us. and We might get some free shirts, and then she said, "I'm embarrassed to wear shirts like this, and if I do, I always cut the name of the shirt off of the shirt <laughs> in the meeting." So the blokes said alright well and then we didn't get any free shirts so, that, <laughs> so we had to pay we had to pay for the, we still wore their shirts but we had to yeah. pay for, they were nice shirts they were. you gave me all of yours I, gave, given well, some I, of I can't away. fit
3: into any of those shirts <laughs> so. I expect you can now get back into no, all your start, shirts it's a,
0: start, it's a nice thing about uh, losing a bit of weight yeah. and uh, the Curious Orange came about because you, the, you well A was from the fall but was it yeah also? it's
3: an experimental 60s Swedish yeah. film and uh, so the phrase was in my head Curious yeah. Orange so I, uh, I thought, well, you know, that's all it takes, isn't it? Well, yeah. on, on some level, there's a subliminal relationship in people's minds, like an orange that was curious. It wasn't, not really, and there was a little bit of music from The Fall that would serve as an yeah. I, I, I mean, I expect that, you know. That's all it takes, isn't it? Just two sort words of notes it and
2: queries type yeah, of thing, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Did Mark E. Smith ever comment on that? I know um,
3: I heard done. from his manager that he tried to get some money out of the BBC for the music <laughs> being played, but oh, there really? was a blanket agreement yeah. with the BBC that you don't get any money from anything.
2: I, I remember you saying at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you, 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 I think you did broach it with him after a gig or something, and he went, "Oh, it's mad that,
4: isn't it?" Well. <laughs> There's a
3: funny thing where he, he's... I don't know if he hates me, but he's, he often puts my name into songs in a really uncomplimentary way. <laughs> I suspect means he probably does hate me. If I ever end up like Stuart Lee, cut off my head with a garden tool, that I mean? <laughs> and there's a thing on the new live album, I can't really hear it. Just, I can just hear my name in the middle of a load of slurring. I wonder, what, I wonder what that is. But, he's um, trying to
2: make you curious, isn't he? Well, you know,
3: yeah. But, I mean... <laughs> You know that that's all, that, that's one of those. He's always been an inspiration, and um, I, I, I suppose one of the one of the mistakes I've made in having him as an inspiration is you sometimes you sometimes reference a thing, and you uh, suspect that everyone's going to go, haha, that's a reference to the fool hilarious!" But in fact, they don't know the source, so they think it's your sort of thing, and I probably wouldn't do it again because um, you, you can't do a homage to something if the thing's less well-known than you are. (laughs) And what a lot of these young XFM DJs that do stand-up who rip me off have to realise (laughs) is uh, they might be doing a bit of my routine change to make fun of me, but the reviewer doesn't know the source material so thinks that they're some kind of genius when in fact they're a twat. (laughs) um like, you know, it, 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 but actually, there was there was loads of stuff fed in from obscure popular culture into those. I mean, you're you're you know a, a maven for that kind of thing, and you sort of informed us loads of stuff. And again, I mean, I think half the fun of it was thinking, I wonder if people will spot this. And it's a very twenty, thirty-something sort of thing to do to sort of drop all these references in, like with the particular kinds of shots you would choose and film stuff or whatever. And we had a, a lot of fun doing that. But it's part of finding your own voice, actually. is Assimilating influences from other things. Uh,
2: I remember you agonising if you if you felt in any way whatsoever you might be plagiarising at all. And um, it's when you had the curious, song, uh, curious orange singing, "I had a little donkey." yeah <laughs> um, I think you later put in the. Well, I've the, done it. Some, I mean, is that that's a song, song I remember? Run On Weekend, was I remember it, my, uh, well, I remember. Well, I remember. You got gran- really worried about no, it, my
3: granddad sang it to me as a kid, and it was obviously a a musical song from the Midlands. But weirdly, the only I had a little donkey. I had a little donkey. I kept him in the yard. One day in the winter time, when it was snowing hard, mother said the donkey would be cold at in the stall. Bring him in the kit, that one. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> I think he was hoping you'd join in there, yeah. but that was yeah. but the, the only the only extant man. version of it was um, from Rutland Weekend Television, which was Eric Idol's post Python thing where he did it with those blokes from Pato, didn't he? Yeah, something Frog rock band. Uh, I remember
2: sort of mentioned it to you and just went,
3: fuck it out. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> obviously I mean, they knew doesn't it, matter. obviously yeah. they knew it from earlier, but I didn't yeah. know about that then. Only you would know about that. And that's how you what found out how to sing it. Oh no, you know, you're I mean you're an incredible it. You know I no, mean you know about everything. I don't know how you you know about you know all things. What, what you you of, know all different kinds of music and all films. You've know more music and films than you've had time in your life to watch or listen to. What are you? Like an immortal character from beyond the Oracle of Delphi.
2: Yeah but, <laughs> yeah, but it all kind of hits a ceiling around two thousand and two. Yeah.
0: <laughs> And we tried to get Jason Orange uh, in to be the Curious Orange on one occasion. That's right. Was that one of the times you weren't there? Because the, it might it might be. I can't remember.
2: I mean, we tried do... to get Robbie Williams. Yeah, we tried, tried to get, get Greg Rob- Evigan. And...
0: We, ne- we weren't, never got cool enough. Like a lot of those other shows were cool that they would have got Robbie Williams.
3: Yeah, but you know what? Wasn't that a blessing? I mean, again, it was sort of being under the radar. And, um, you know, there was a, a point where Neiman and Baddiel were on the front of the... Uh, NME, and you like rightly identified me as 20-something as having been the sort of person that would have liked that. Um, but actually, it was a narrow escape from... Um, it was a narrow escape for both of us from being identified with a particular period or with a particular um, uh, period of fashion and that you're, you're able to just carry on. And um, the people that are kind enough to come and see you uh, <laughs> 20 years later... Uh, they 're not held into a particular period like you' you know so I think it was it was really actually that stuff was really lucky like at the time I remember you 'd sort of think how come these people can tour at these levels and not lose money and be on all these things but actually the long game of being able to then do stuff like this twenty years later and being i mean can David Badil do a podcast where he plays snooker against himself? I don't think he can. No, <laughs> he can't do that. And I'm not trying to be a thing, it's actually an amazing thing that you can, you know, you've, you've said this yourself a lot, that, it, that you can have the fluidity to be able to do that, and partly is because somehow we got through that period when comedy was the new rock and roll that anyone really knows. Well, also
0: what's kind of interesting, I think out of that, out of sort of the, this, the new, uh, the uh, and Skinner, is that kind of new lab thing, that yeah, it's well, all like now, twenty years on, that's starts. Toxic. To, well, it starts to look like you know you'll be like the 1970s guys telling racist jokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're yeah. the if you're the 1990s guys going yeah, anal sex tits, you know, which we I think you know we didn't escape entirely from doing jokes like that. No, but, but in, we there was but always because a we now
3: f- control um, the rights to our own um, old DVDs, <laughs> we're able to edit those bits out. <laughs>
0: If anything, though, it's, kind of, it's interesting the other way, because you're, you're so puritanical in, in... You know, that was yeah. the joke about it. I mean, yeah, you're yeah. having to go at uh, Gail Porter all the way through in the series in a way that sort of feels a little bit cruel now in retrospect, yeah. but, but is from the point of view of, of, of a sort of feminist uh, perspective, I suppose. Yeah.
2: Shrink-wrapped chicken.
0: <laughs> well, you know, that, well, we'll see if that makes the... Uh... <laughs> the thing yeah, is it, it's it, sort of, it sort of has to because it's all the way through every yeah. <laughs> well do you
2: remember himself? your uh, your Mel C I want yeah. your gamete. yeah <laughs> <laughs> I did the five oh, packs of women. ugly spice and yeah. all
4: that
0: yeah so there are, there are, there's elements of it but to actually be associated with and that routine is still about it's still about yeah, taking yeah. the piss out of well, the we escaped
3: mid 90s lad culture via not being invited to join in with it <laughs>
2: Talk, talking of which, uh, is Trevor still not allowed to speak?
0: <laughs> While Stu is on stage. It was mainly Stu who stopped that.
5: Why was that? I
2: can't remember why that happened.
5: He was jealous.
0: <laughs> I think it was just for the... I don't think it was a genuine... It wasn't genuinely that we couldn't afford to pay you anymore, but it was just the funny idea that that would be the case.
5: How did you, how did you feel about that? I, it was it was really uh, heartbreaking for me. It was awful. <laughs> Cause I, cause I, well, I looked up to you two. Weirdly, you two were like my two dads in comedy, and and I looked up. What to we you, were like your two dads, or were we were like my two dads from the sitcom, not Greg like, uh, Evigan no. and Paul Ryson. <laughs> not you weren't like them, okay. but you were you were like you were like your two dads. Yeah, Paul was like a mum to me because yeah. I didn't have I knew Paul loved me, and I didn't have to prove anything to him. But you yeah. two, I, I felt you know, I had to prove myself. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I still do.
4: We
5: still, yeah, still got a lot to prove some thanks. So, uh,
0: yes. I mean, there's, a so fair, there's a fair there's a I think we were going for that sort of Samuel Beckett thing. Well, certainly in Fist of Fun where it was like we were all kicking we were all kicking the person down. We were all fairly sad. Yeah. You were kicking me and I was kicking Pete and yeah. in this, you know, yeah. we, there was a, there's quite a lot of nasty bullying that I don't really like looking looking back because I don't think I think it doesn't there are you know, there's plenty of bits that you look at yeah. fifty and there would have to be that fifteen years later you look back and go, <laughs> well, I wish I hadn't pulled that slightly disabled person face during that routine, yeah. uh, or whatever. So, you know, I think... But then that's, that's all about living and learning and, and changing, you know, so... It's, yeah, it's, but uh, you know, it, can of be,
3: it can be edited down, it will it be. It can be
0: edited down. <laughs> 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 We're going to be left with the hardly anything. <laughs> few of the episodes... <laughs> uh, <laughs> so do
2: you think it would have suffered from e-petitions?
3: Well, you know, uh, th- th- that's another weird thing, is, uh, uh, is that, in a way... We tried to do stuff that created a relationship with the audience and encouraged them to write in and get involved in things and sort of create the comedy themselves and then we'd sort of roll with it. Um, Now, uh, 20 years later, I mean, it would almost be unmanageable because the amount of feedback you'd get from the internet and Twitter would um, be out of control. You You couldn't really do it. In fact, things would get... If you said to people now... Why don't you write? Try and write the biggest swear word you can, and hang it off a building. It would, it would, you know, it would. So many people do that. It would be appalling. So it, sort of, um, it, it was. It, I think it was in a weird window yeah. between this sort of, uh, you know, post-punk thing of like, let's involve the people, and yet actually, the te- pretty soon the technology existed to involve the people so thoroughly that it would have been unworkable because um, <laughs> they'd have been far too involved. I think what probably would have happened that um, we missed out on is that uh, despite the fact that there wasn't a, a critical approval for it or an approval from the um, broadcaster, there would have, if there'd been uh, a Twitter and the internet, there would have been a visible groundswell of support from viewers that might have changed um, a uh, commissioner's mind about things. And, and certainly, you know, I know I've benefited from that subsequently... Um, but I don't know if that would have been the right thing because actually I think it it had, it had done what it set out to and it lives in the memory in quite an exciting way for people partly because it was, um, it was truncated. And uh, to look back at it now when the DVD comes out I think people will go, how was that ever allowed to happen? And the answer is it wasn't really, it was an accident. <laughs> um, so... But, you know, anything you talk about from popular culture now, if it's before 2000, you have to factor in the fact that Twitter and the internet didn't really exist in the way it does now. And that that just changes everything. I mean, uh, we, we sort of tried to... We sort of tried to get that kind of thing going with all the write-in things on the radio. Yeah, and, yeah. And, we, you know, no, we
0: did respond... To everyone who wrote to us, yeah. manually writing everyone letters back. And I mean, if people wrote four letters a week yeah. did we not write to them. I
3: mean, I still, I still meet people to this day who are like 35, 40 now, who've come to see you for 20 years because you uh, replied to a letter they sent. And, of course, you could do that then because it was quite hard to send in a letter. Whereas now, you know, anyone can send off an email, which is... Devalued the whole notion of interaction <laughs> between. Uh, and uh, I mean, I I wrote a fan letter to the Fall in 1982, and uh, Steve Hanley, the bass player, replied to it with a postcard from Berlin. And uh, earlier this year, which is 32 years later, I uh, you know wrote a little bit about his book and chaired a discussion when he did a launch for it. And, and it's partly because of that uh, incredible thing to a 14-year-old that it, it makes a big uh, impression, but I don't know if it has the same uh, currency anymore. You
0: know? Well, I don't see what people sometimes seem impressed if you reply. I mean, some people seem impressed if you reply to a tweet. You know, I and mean, it's a different yeah. sort of thing, but it's uh, uh, it's a lot easier to do. But it's there's, uh, I suppose, it breaks down that uh, division as well. So maybe in the 90s, people who were on TV were very far aloof, and now that's only it's only people. I never felt like we were on
3: TV. I felt like we were sort of. Allowed in for a bit,
0: but I don't yeah. think we were typical of you know. I don't think we were typical no. in that we were we were kind of accessible. <laughs> we were sort of yeah. internet accessible. Well, you yeah. have,
3: you always had a, a sense of the absurdity of it, which was very refreshing. I mean, I we all hear horror stories in in this business. You all hear horror stories of someone who's been going two years and gets a teddy show, and suddenly they expect <laughs> to have their shabbat delivered to them by an oiled slave. And, uh, <laughs> whereas we always found a you, you were very good at finding the whole thing ridiculous um, and, and all those routines that were in Vista Fun about I stood next to Jeremy Paxman, I touched his sleeve and stuff like that were <laughs> tragically they were based on actual responses <laughs> to the situation of being within the orbit of uh, fame and um, I, I still feel like I don't belong, I know that's an increasingly untenable ludicrous position to, to feel like but you, you, you sort of feel like uh, it's something that's happening to other people and you get to Spectate on it, and also you're you acutely aware of the bizarre behaviour of uh, of other people, and I think you were, you were always really alert to that, which was a great thing, in that we managed to maintain the feeling that the programme shouldn't have been on, and we shouldn't have been allowed to do it. Yeah. And of course, well, actually, the irony it's... was that was the case.
0: Yeah. But yeah. well, that's why it's good we didn't get Jason Orange and Robbie Williams to be in it, you know, because it would have given it a sense of. Uh... You know, being part of everything, and it really was We really, really weren't uh, part of anything.
2: <laughs> what, what, what was it, um, Richard Maidley? And Judy Finnegan actually said the, the finest. They said,
3: um, w- w- well, because Frank Skinner had been on Richard Maidley and Judy Finnegan's programme, there was obviously some PR deal done with our management where we had to be on the next week, and they greeted us with a heavy heart <laughs> and sat through one of our bits, and then afterwards she said, yeah, it's comedy about nothing, really, isn't it? <laughs> Which actually, I think, was what we'd been aiming for. <laughs> but
0: also on that, uh, Richard Madeley—they'd gone with this before. We want four because you because it's school uh, half term. We went to come up with four things that you know t- kids can be doing, four activities that kids can be doing. A j- joke about that. And so instead of doing that, Richard Madey went, you guys, you're so funny, you can make a joke about anything. Tell us a joke about... And then he named one of the things he knew we had. So it, and then it wasn't really a joke we had prepared anyway, yeah, but it was yeah. such an odd thing, to, odd way to get into it, to make this sort of false... Uh, leap. Do you know
3: what? This might be your, your out point. Okay. But years later... <laughs> I was on a chat show with Richard Mady years... I don't know why or what it was, about five years, ten years later. He said, oh, yeah, I remember you, blah, blah, blah. And then... Apropos of nothing, he started telling me this anecdote about how he and Judy had been on a holiday in a cottage in the countryside somewhere and he'd looked out of the window and he'd seen um, a man in the field having sex with a donkey. <laughs> and um, he called her over to look at it. And, yeah. uh, well, I'm just saying that's <laughs> well, <laughs> You know, he didn't... I think he was trying to get in with me. Yeah, know, yeah. sort of thing where...
0: Well, I did their show a couple of times when they went to Channel 4. and then we, Did they, watched... they mention that to you? He didn't talk about that, but he did... Uh... Well, it's well, no
2: I... secret affair anecdote. At least... <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they were, he was noticeably like you know, trying to be, get in with you and be sweary. I don't know if they really remembered who I was or knew no. I was. But uh, I mean, it wasn't really anything to do with them. It was sort of, I suppose, a little bit cruel. The one thing we... we had that was
3: weird was we... Uh, the, one of the first dates of our tour after the first series of this one of Richard Judy was whole truck theatre and um, some people were really visibly unhappy in the front row left at half time and we found out later they'd been expecting to see uh, Judy Finnegan and Richard Mabon. Um and we often speculated at which point during the first hour did they decide they probably weren't going to show up? Um, and, um, but politely waited until half time The other thing, and this is, again is ruins that would have been an outpoint, but is there was some uh, graffiti in the toilets there. I remember about the quality of the excrement of um, the bass player from Amazing Blondell, who in early seventies Lincolnshire progressive rock. Band. Which I was considerably more interested in than you. It was Eddie Baird's shit really stinks. And um, Amazing Blondell had just got back together, and yeah. one of their warm-up gigs had been at. Uh, and I was going, wow, Eddie Baird from Amazing Blondell shit really stinks.
2: Was that was Francis Monkman?
3: No, he was in um, Caravan. No, he was in. He was in. Um, he was in Caravan. Francis Monkman was, was he? he? Yeah. I, I thought yeah. he was yeah. in no, Amazing no, Blondell. No, he's from I'm so yeah, not that from Canterbury. No, he was in. Um, Curved air. Curved air.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah it's definitely no, this not turned was... into an end point now. <laughs> oh,
4: <that is>
5: <laughs> Maybe the last word should go to Trevor. <laughs> uh...
4: <laughs>
5: no, it's been an absolute pleasure to uh, listen to you guys. Thank uh, okay. you. <laughs> uh, thanks for inviting me on stage to listen on stage. Uh, well, I mean, it was great listening backstage, but a bit on stage of listening. It's just, they're different when you can see the words coming out of... Uh, the sweat and you oh yeah, it put it in the context of sweaty faces so uh, thanks thanks for that you know what um, you'll
3: have a sweaty face when you're older but it'll be a small sweaty face he's 41 he's years old can you believe he's it
0: he's not he
3: is I'm not <laughs>
5: um, but would you like to apologise to uh,
3: people with small faces now
5: after, um, yeah I yeah. mean you
3: know um, there's so many things I'd like to apologise for uh, from the 90s and it's great that you've um, you've, you've led that, the charge for the small face and um, it's just one of the many things that I'm sure will come to rain down upon us of criticisms when the whole thing actually goes out um, also I think that it, it, you know it's your you're this odd footnote in this but of course your own stand up is actually superb and is of far greater value than anything that we'll be releasing that gives any indication of what you do. So, uh, <laughs> a tragedy. And most people that know you will see you, something doing, see you doing something that's of far less value than your own work, which is a, a grim tragedy.
0: It was good when you dressed up as a bit of crest, though. Yeah, yeah. that was that was
4: very good.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Stewart Lee, Bob Butler. Thank you for coming. You have been listening to Richard Herring's Leicester Square Theatre podcast with me, Richard Herring, and my guest Stuart Lee. Who's that? Uh, the music you're listening to is by Pest. Uh, thank you to Orange Mark at the British Comedy Guide, uh, who probably has nothing to do with this one, to be honest. Uh, thank you to Chris Evans, not that one, from Go Faster Stripe, who has lots to do with it. Uh, thank you to everyone at the Leicester Square Theatre for having us uh, during this run. It's been fantastic. Uh, my producer is Dave Cribb. Uh, it is a fuzz GoFasterStripe.com and Sky Potato production. We'll be back in May next year. Bye! Woohoo! that's it. It's the end of the series. Thank you so much for your support during this series. It's been terrific fun, apart from that last one with Stuart Lee, which was not as much fun. So uh, <laughs> uh, do come and see me on tour, richardherring.com, for all the details. Go and buy a DVD from gofasterstripe.com or a badge from gofastestripe.com slash badges. Or just tell your friends about this phenomenal podcast. We'll be back in June and July with some more. Uh, and then hopefully if we can carry on just making a living at it somehow we can carry on doing these into the future any contribution you can make is massively appreciated but we'll carry on without you that's just the way we are we we don't need money please my baby needs food and shoes thanks for listening see you in a few months goodbye